Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. And I'm Jay. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, The Sandman Season 1. The series based on the comic book written by Neil Gaiman and published by DC Comics. The series stars Tom Sturridge as the title character with Boyd Holbrook, Vivian Aikinpong and Patton Oswalt in supporting roles. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. Yeah, and for those who are unaware, this is like one of those seminal comic book works that I admit I have never read, which is something I've been criticized on many, many times. It's on my list. I flicked through it many times, having worked in a comic book store for 12 years, but never actually sat down and started to read, even though it's my brother's like what he calls the greatest comic book ever written. I'm like, oh, I'll get around to it. I get. I've got to it. be. Your, well, I was going to say, I've got to be honest. I'm really surprised. I thought that you'd ready front to back, back to front. I have read the first trade, and it was many, yeah. many years ago. I'm talking ten plus years ago, and I bought it for uh, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, but the girlfriend at the time, and, and I thought maybe this is something she would like and appreciate. Not being a fan of DC Comics or anything like that, I thought this could be a way of introducing what I like, but looking more like the kind of thing she likes. So she read that first trade, and and I, I read it as well, but again, it was so long ago, and I've never read anything about Sandman since. Like you, very familiar but it was good going into this show, almost completely cold, like not quite knowing what to expect. I did know going in that a yeah. lot of the DC comic elements or DC characters were removed. Like I remember from that first trade, Guardians of the Galaxy are in there. Not Guardians of the Galaxy. That's, um, that's a Marvel thing. The Guardians from Green Lantern. What are they called? The Guardians? Okay. The Guardians of the Universe? I think it's just, I, I think it's just the Guardians. I'm not sure I if they've got they... a, a full line. Maybe anyway, of the Universe. I'm sure the Guardians of something. The Blue Guys. Yeah. I am a DC yeah. guy, honestly. I, I just, for, for the life of me, I can't remember. The Guardians. Anyway, they're in it. <laughs> There's other characters as well. I mean, we do see in this show Doctor Destiny. He's the David Thewlis character, but he doesn't quite go by that name. And so he's a character in the comics that has gone up against the Justice League. And I think there's another couple of characters as well that you would associate with Justice League, but are in this show. But this mm. show definitely is its own thing. And Sandman kind of started yeah. in its own corner of the DCEU. And then very quickly, Neil Gaiman took it to be its own thing. Yeah, which I appreciate. In fact, it's part of the reason Vertigo exists is because of the quality and the uh, like more mature nature. With mature as in like uh, grown up and thinky and hard to contemplate and get, wrap your head around rather than like graphic or violent. Um, that this like the swamp thing and who constantine those are like oh 
that and Preacher, I think, came around. That uh, Preacher was around the same time that Vertigo was like the brand was built. And these are the those are the titles that built the brand. Like you can't ask for a better starting lineup. Yeah, really. definitely. Um, Vertigo isn't a thing now. Well, it kind of is. They've got DC Black Label. Very yeah. similar to what Vertigo Comics was back in the day, but they're able to have DC as part of the label. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and it's it was always intended to be uh its own continuity exempt from DC unless DC decided that's really good, we're gonna use that. And they could use the characters, they could not use their characters, they could kill them because it wasn't considered continuity uh, and just gave them more freedom. Um, and the, it was a premium label. You know, the, you had your Neil Gaiman's and your Sam Keynes and your Garth Ennis's and you know, the list goes on and on and on for the titles that came out of it. But, you know, it's, it's interesting what they're doing with DC now because Lock and Key was its own thing but now if you're reading the latest sandman comics from dc there's the banner i think it's called like sandman universe so if you pick up a new lock and key comic it's got the sandman logo on the top so it's very much in its own corner still in the comics but they are still making new sandman comics today yeah, um, and I was having not read it. I was very aware of its its concept and how it begins, which is the entire first episode of the series. Which I appreciated having clicked through it. The visual uh, uh, representation, which was like lifted straight off the comic book page. But yeah, going there's forward, so many so many elements like that. Yeah, I'm just. Uh, because for those who haven't read the comic book, each story arc is actually drawn by a completely different artist, which is another reason I haven't read it, is because it kind of gets up rates on me when art flip-flops like that. Um, I'm used to it on main title books where it's usually two different art teams that, and they take a story arc each, but they usually have complementary styles, whereas Sandman, from my remembering, it was each one was like a completely different interpretation in terms of art and how it was presented. It was more collaborative between Neil Gaiman, whoever the artist for that story was. Which you know, just be aware if you're gonna have if you've watched the show and you want to read the comic, that is something that might uh, shock you when you go from trade to trade. But it starts off. We should go into the premise. Well, actually, uh, before we before we even do that, I want to take us back. I want to take us back to the nineties, to way before this yep. show ever happened, because it was a bit of a history lesson for me. It's again familiar with the comic. We've got the TV show now, but they went on a little bit of a journey, which started in nineteen ninety one. It was intended to be a film. It floundered in development hell for many years. In 2013, it's a bit of a jump there, David S. Goya pitched a film adaption of the series to Warner Brothers. Goya and Gaiman were set to produce alongside Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who was planned to star and possibly direct. I remember hearing about that. 
and you could see yeah. you could see him in the role. He's got the black hair. You could just imagine him playing the part. I mean, most, I guess, people have black hair. But yeah, I don't know. There's something, stop. yeah, something about him. But okay, that could be interesting. But he exited the project over creative differences in 2016. Due to the prolonged development of the film, Warner Brothers shifted its focus to TV. Netflix signed a deal to produce the series in June 2019. Filming lasted from October 2020 to August 2021. The Sandman premiered 5th of August 2022 with an additional episode premiering on August 19th, which I think caught everybody by surprise because it's like, huh, we've had our 10 and we've got a bonus one, but I guess we'll we'll get to it when we talk episodes. Well, that was a nice, nice surprise. Yeah, and um, I'm, I'm. One thing I'll say off the bat is, thank God they had so much time for the special effects on this show because it, it looks visually stunning. The cinematography is amazing. The way they create the world is amazing. I have never thought it would work as a film, even having not read it. I'm like, ah, there's there's so much world building to be done. How do you get that crammed out? In yeah. a movie that has to run for hours and still cover all the ground the movie has to get and it be satisfying without it feeling like a movie length premiere to something else. Um, and a movie so in glad. the 90s as well. <laughs> a movie oh, potentially yeah, yeah. in the 90s, you know, anywhere between 90 minutes to 120 minutes, that would have been yeah. would have been it. And even having having the show, like not this is not a negative, right? But with each episode, like when you watch the whole season, because it pretty much is those 10 episodes and then you get the bonus 11th. Those 10 episodes, yeah. you again, this is not a negative, but you feel like it's barely scratching the surface. It feels like there's yeah. so much that you're not getting, but not in a bad way. And it's just like what you're saying there, just about the world building. And then visually what it's looking like. Like I remember, you know, you've got the episode and you've got David mm. Thrillus and he's, he feels, or he thinks that he's one and it's like a white background. And then you pull out and he's in the palm yeah. of Morpheus's hand and you're like, holy shit. And then I yeah. looked online, side-by-side -side comparison to the original comic panel. And it is incredible that they're able to see what's on the page and be like, do you know what? We're going to put that in the show. And they pull it off. And it looks great. So yeah. the show, it's, yeah, yeah the, the world building. And hopefully we're going to get more because we've not heard anything yet. Gaiman's been very vocal on social media. If you like the show, watch the show, comment. Like let's uh, let Netflix know that that we're interested, and and I I certainly am. Yeah, my brother hasn't actually started watching the show, despite the fact his claim of it being a thing. Because he's he's like, I want to be able to have no distractions and sit down over the course of a day or two and just binge my way through it. He wants to, it like he's like prepping himself with excitement. Um, and you know, like it, it's it is. For me, eleven because I just been I kept it going and I didn't get around to watching it as it dropped. I luckily the eleventh episode had already dropped, 
and I just pulled through it in, I think it was like one day off. And I just binged through the whole thing. And I'm like, wait, how many hours have I been here? I didn't feel like it. It, it just, I just washed over me. I was completely absorbed. And like, it was like a, like, it episode binge. I'm like, next one, play, play. It's really, really easy to consume. And I, I know it'd be like at least two years before we get another season, but Netflix, give me. I want Give us more. I mean, the show did receive generally positive reviews from critics with praise going towards the casting, production design, costumes, the faithfulness to its source material, visual effects and performances, particularly those of Sturridge and David Thrillers. So many, so many positives. Now, I didn't watch it as quick as you did. I watched it over a couple of weeks, but it's a show that I was watching with my wife. Like She was really into it and we watched it you know, together. And it is very rare that she would sit down and watch a DC show. We watched Pennyworth together. She started watching Peacemaker with me. And although she was liking it enough, she didn't finish the season, but I did. I think it's because a bit of a time restraint and we were going to review it for the podcast. So she's not gone back, but that's just an example of like how interested she normally is when it comes to DC. So pretty much Pennyworth, most of Peacemaker and Sandman. That's it. Yeah. So he does seem yeah. to have that wider appeal. One of the things I do want to address off the bat, I'm sure it's going online, even though I haven't seen it, but I can imagine it is because it always is, is uh, the casting of Death, who I think she did an amazing job, uh, which is... Where is she, actress playing death? Ah, Kirby Howell Baptiste. Um, in the comics, death is as white as Morpheus, which, and he is particularly white. Like, there is no color to his palette at all. Uh, and there's actually an interesting story of that. When Neil Gaiman was first shown the design by Dave McKean, I think he was the artist, they were having lunch uh, and he didn't like it. He's like, oh, no, it's not what I had planned in my mind. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think I like this design. And the girl who served them their food looked exactly like the drawing. Unintended. She even had the ank necklace. Oh, cool. uh, but Neil Gaiman looked up and then looked at the picture and was like, you know what, Dave? Yeah, you're probably right. With that Ooh, that It works. Um, a very 90s look. But... but you know, in the show, she has the necklace, but it's the character is. I think she appears different from memory. She appears different to everyone. Sometimes it's a girl. Sometimes it's a little girl. Sometimes it's an old friend. Sometimes it's a man. She's an entity that has different appearances. But yeah, I just thought I'd like to address that off the bat. Like, just because she looks, she's cast uh, differently in the show. Don't take that as like weird. Like if you actually read the material, she is supposed to be able to change her appearance because what she thinks the person she's uh, reaping, I guess would be the correct term, will make them feel most comfortable. Yeah, well, it's probably no surprise. There were some criticisms online with the casting, but it is what it is. And not just the original comic, but this show, gaming's involved. 
And he's like, no, this is the show. This is what she looks like. Just like the casting of Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer Morningstar. So many people complaining that it's not Tom Ellis. It's like, it's not the Lucifer show. Like, it's it's different. And anyway, so I like the fact that they are being bold with the casting. Like, Jenna Coleman as Joanna Constantine. It's like, no, we're just going to do our own thing. With Death, you just reminded me, like, oh, man, would it would have been maybe 10-plus years ago, and I was collecting action comics mm. at the time. It was Paul Cornell writing that series death did appear and she looked pretty much like she did in the comic like that the description you gave before but yet they tried to fold sandman back into dc comics and i guess they were using death as the main anchor it didn't last too long but i do have an action comics comic and she's on the cover forgot about that yeah yeah. With the show, then, upon escaping after decades of imprisonment by a mortal wizard, Dream, the personification of yeah. dreams, sets about to reclaim his lost equipment. Now, mentioned him a couple of times. Let's do the guy justice now. Tom Sturridge as Morpheus. I mean... This guy, honestly, I'm like, I was saying to my wife, I've never seen this guy before. I think he's like an up-and-coming guy. And she's like, what are you talking about? Like, he's been around for a long time. He had a child with, I think, Sienna Miller. And I'm like, hang on. She started way back around layer cake days. And then I'm looking into it. And, yeah, he has been around for a long time. I think he's done a lot of stage work. But he's been in films. TV often they seem to be period pieces. That's what I've noticed. Although he is in the movie, the boat that rocked. Remember seeing that a few years ago okay. and enjoying it. He's is in that. But maybe it was a benefit to me then just being completely ignorant of his career. Because for me, as I'm watching this show, he's Morpheus. Like that is that is yeah. who he is. And just I mean, I was saying before, Joseph Gordon Lovett, he's going to look about him. Maybe he could have done the part well. But this guy, though, like the height, the build, the big black hair, and just, I don't know, there's just something. Like, I don't know how much is him and how much is what they've done to him for the show, but he almost, well, I was going to say almost, he looks otherworldly. Like, the way that he looks moves yeah and just his speech his his delivery you know i thought it was pretty funny in an interview he said that neil gaiman told him on his first day of filming to stop being batman with his dialogue like you need to change that delivery and obviously he took that advice because what we're getting from him as morpheus again it's just it doesn't matter what he's saying you kind of feel you feel yourself leaning forward ever so slightly like you're really taking in and you're interested in what he has to say and it's not just the character it's the actor like such a great performance yeah uh also what i found out watching some interviews with him and the other cast his first day filming was all those naked scenes oh was it really (laughs) yeah he's like 
showing up day one, uh, meeting all the crew and cast, and it's like, all right, close off, let's go. And it's like, oh, okay, he goes, yeah, he goes, there's, there's no more confronting way to start a project than immediately having to be naked in front of everyone. <laughs> but, That's it. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's amazing. Um, I would, I remember they were talking about, I think it was Stephen Moyer from True Blood for a oh, while yeah. was rumored to be up the, the part. And I thought, oh yeah, he's got, he's got the look about it, but I don't think you could get better than Tom Sturridge. I think he's just nailed it. Oh, they've, they've voice, absolutely nailed it. Yeah. yeah um, all of it just is like top notch. I don't, I'm sure Neil Gaiman has had the thoughts since of like, how did we stumble on to a guy who looks exactly like the way he was drawn in the book? Perfect. I mean, he's he not got. Yeah, I mean, he's not got the black eyes, but doesn't need it like, like in the comic. But you're right. I mean, other than the black eyes, he looks just like him. And I think he's not quite as pale, but but he looks so yeah. much like his comic counterpart. And it's the kind of thing where, like, years from now, you can't imagine, just based on this one season, anybody else playing Morpheus. You just can't no. imagine it. You know, a time will come where we'll get another actor playing Wolverine, but now you just think, just Hugh Jackman, Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool. There's just certain actors, and that's what I'm getting from him as Morpheus. Yeah, I, I mean, he's a title character, and he does such a good job. Yeah, um, the other person who does an amazing job as the Corinthian. Ah, uh, yes. Void yeah, Holbrook. Man, he's good. He's so good. He's so creepy. He's not quite Anthony Starr Homelander intensity because that's a whole other level and that's a whole different character in terms of like, oh my God, he's going to kill everyone. But with... The Corinthian, I found him fascinating. Every single scene, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. What, like, I was genuinely interested. I'm like, what is his motive? Other than not cease, other than to stop, to, you know, to avoid ceasing to exist, what's his actual motive? I, like, he's so fascinating. Like, I, also the fact that his character is a nightmare. I'm like, I understand that. <laughs> like, <laughs> Ethereal killing dream thing that is immortal, strong, highly intelligent, just seems to be able to pop up at will, like a like a horror creature, like Freddy Krueger, just hunting you down. I'm like, man, really well designed character, but also the, the performance. Like, I'm sure the actors opposite him on on the set well, they didn't need to act that much they're like generally terrified <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's a it's a great performance and i mean for the most part it just looks like boyd holbrook it looks like a bloke but we know the thing that's yeah. visually different about him is almost always covered up with his sunglasses his eyes have teeth yeah and you get shown it early yeah. on and i found myself the whole season, whenever he's on screen, just wanting to see it again. Because remember seeing it, it was unnerving. Come on, show it again. And they do. They show it again right at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. But it's such a weird yeah. 
visual and really works as part of this world. But yeah, that's such an interesting design. Yeah, and also, what's he doing with the eyes? And then you finally find out, like, oh, uh, of course, that's what you're doing. Why? Why did I not cotton on to that sooner? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have a Pat and Oswald, of course, as Matthew the Raven. He just I mean, seems to be like, oh, we need a voice actor. Just get Pat and Oswald on the phone. Do you want him to do any particular voice? Nah, just Pat and Oswald will do. I mean, straight away, you know, you just hear that voice, and without seeing Pat and Oswald, as soon as you hear him, you think Ratatouille. Yeah, <laughs> or or yeah. the show Happy. There he is. Maybe he voiced the the magical yeah. blue horse. Yeah. yeah, he's got a very yeah. a very distinctive voice. Yeah, and he's done a great performance. I think he's actually been in some other Neil Gaiman property show thing. Like, really? Was he, in, was he in Good Omens? Did he do some voice work for Good Omens, maybe? I don't remember him from that. Or American show, Gods, perhaps. Yeah. I've not seen... Um, I, I did the first couple of American Gods. Maybe maybe he's in that. But yeah, um... No, you know, not, no, nothing to say other than like it's definitely Pat Oswald. Like, yeah, yeah, but yeah, he did a great job. But I like, yeah, so he's playing Dreams emissary, his connection to yeah the real world or the living. And but I like the yeah. fact that he was just a guy. He was a bloke named Matthew. Something happened. Well, he died, and then yeah. that's when he becomes the emissary. So I, I like that point of view as well. Whereas even though he's a talking bird. He was recently a person. So he brings that yeah. different like, perspective. Yeah, they're like having him follow uh, Unity and she and he's like, they're like, look out for anything weird. And he's like, anything weird? Yeah, sure, I'll go follow the uh, personification of dreams into the world with a girl who's the vortex, whatever that is, and this, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, but. Yeah, sure. I'll just keep my eye out for something weird. Like, what constitutes weird for you? I've just been through hell, literally. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Um, that guy in the street voice of all of this yeah. is insane. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, I really like the casting. You know, another voice that we get, Mark Hamill, is the voice of Mervyn Pumpkinhead, a chain-smoking janitor with a jack-o'-lantern for a head. We get him briefly. I think it's sweeping up in the first episode and then a bit again later on. Yeah. They must be saving him for more because I remember hearing that Mark Hamill was going to be in it and then seeing that he had a character poster. I thought, oh, great. I mean, he is in it, but yeah. he's not really in it a lot. But again, going back to the show, Scratching the Service, there is so much more story to tell. British comedian... Lenya Henry is the voice of Martin Tenbones, a magical dog-like creature who appears in the dreams of Barbie. Yeah, there is some yeah. great, great casting. Yeah. Stephen Fry. Yeah, Ken and Barbie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ken and Barbie, good characters. And they're like, yes, we understand, we know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Stephen Fry as, uh, what's his character, the Green? Fiddler's Green. Uh, Fiddler's Green, yeah. a mysterious gentleman who becomes Rose's bodyguard. And then you find out that he also escaped 
what during Morpheus's imprisonment, he escapes at the same time as the Corinthian, and they yeah. meet up in that the, the the convention. The what is it? The serial convention, but it's not breakfast but, cereal. Yeah, but it's oh, not, very yeah, very clever. I I did I did enjoy all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, Joanna Constantine brought up, played by Jenna Coleman of Doctor Who fame. Yes. She's great. Oh, She's she really, really good. I mean, I'm sure people would have preferred Matt Ryan, but again, it's not a it's DC. Nothing, DC it's, yeah, you do you need know to what? keep it on its own. Yeah. Anyone it's nothing, you bring in who's already hmm. been a character is going to like. It's going to be like dragging you out, like, oh, look, it's the person. Hey, check it out. It's, yeah. So I understand why they do it. I appreciate why they do it. I think her relationship with Morpheus as well, um, it would come across differently if it was a guy playing the role because I always think of Constantine or Constantine, as we learn it's supposed to be is a scumbag piece of shit, like to put it frankly. And I don't think there would be the same feeling of empathy or pathos that you want them to get their like dreams, their nightmares like taken away. It's like he's like it's deserved. And I've always felt that with Constantine. The the pain he suffers he's brought upon himself. So I do like the, the casting change. Um, you know, they still give her the the beige coat, which looks great. Um, and she's unimpressed with Dream. She's like, yeah, yeah, who is this person? Why would I care? Um, but yeah, it's great. It's nice. To see. And she only shows, or she shows up as oldie time versions of the Constantine family. Yes, like, we, we get her initially. Yeah, because we're getting her playing two different versions of Constantine, or as you correctly said, Constantine. That's a whole thing. We're going to come back to that yeah. in a moment. So, yeah, originally yeah. we get it in episode three, but that's the modern day Constantine. But then I think it was episode six. And as you say, you're getting like yeah. the olden times version. So she's playing those parts very, very differently. Okay, yeah, Matt Ryan, Constantine, he did a great job. I liked him in the NBC show. Um, the voice work he's done in animation, Legends of Tomorrow, he was there for a while, and then he came back as a completely different character. But, you know, it's just been announced that Constantine 2 with Keanu Reeves is happening. Have you heard this? What? Right, it's... Big news. It, it is big news. Not only, and, and this is like 17 years in the making, that first movie came out 2005. So not only is Keanu Reeves back, but also director Francis Lawrence. It is happening. How? How? I mean, uh, it's a fantastic film. I think we've done the review of it. We have, yeah, yeah. I'm just... I'm like, I'm not, it's I don't so know. Long. It's been, yeah, well, it's been 17 <laughs> years. But anyway, so I, yeah, so with this show, doesn't have to be Matt Ryan, doesn't have to be Keanu Reeves. We can say that again, but it's very much, very much its own thing. 
Neil Gaiman spoke to some of the creators of Constantine and they approved of the decision to rewrite him as Joanna Constantine. It's technically a new character. In the comics, there was a Lady Constantine. Apparently, well, Gaiman was saying that was a tribute to Alan Moore, who created John Constantine. So they've gone in a different direction. So although there is already a Joanna Constantine in the comics, this is a new character for the show. Now we need to go and address what you said before. Gaiman online has ended the debate on whether Constantine is pronounced Constantine, T-E-E-N, or Constantine, T-Y-N-E. Gaiman shared the panel from 1985's Swamp Thing 37 in which John Constantine says, Tyne, T-I-N-E, writing Alan Moore named and co-created the character, and that's how he pronounced it. So it's Tyne. Constantine. I've always read it as Constantine. All media... Yeah. Whether it's Keanu Reeves, Matt Ryan, doesn't matter. It's always Constantine, but it's supposed to be Constantine. Constantine. Ah, (laughs) that's what's happened. And honestly, I I've listened over the years to like certain comic book podcasts. And I've got to be honest, I'm guilty of this. Whenever they would pronounce it Constantine, I'd roll my eyes. Thinking, ah, it's yeah. not. But apparently it is. Or I guess it's both, because we're going to get Constantine too. But in the show, yeah. they're going with the original pronunciation that first started with the creator of the character, Alan Moore. So, I mean, that's yeah. that's what it is. And do you know what? It just adds to the Sandman just being this special little part of DC, where it's the only place... Yeah. You're you're gonna get Constantine everywhere else. They'll probably still continue to have him be Constantine. Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine so. Uh, another character we should probably bring up because she's in like every episode. Lucien, played by Vivian Arcambong. Uh fantastic. She's the librarian who ends up basically caretaker of. The dreaming, yeah, the dream. Yeah, the, so when he the dimension when that dreams happening, when he's out of action, yeah, she's the one that everyone goes to, and even when he returns, people are still going to her. Morpheus gets really frustrated with that and basically calls her just a librarian, and then he goes yeah. back and apologizes. And who I can't remember who's who else is there at that time. I think it might have even been Fiddler's Green, like just pointing out the fact that yeah. you need to acknowledge what just happened here. Morpheus just came and apologized to you. The old Morpheus would have never yeah. have apologized. Yeah, no, she is yeah. absolutely fantastic. Yeah, she is so good in this. Yeah. Um, and she's of such importance. I mean, like I don't think he could have been successful uh, without her. Like he's, 
she's been keeping everything together while he's gone. She's the one who's up to, on special events. He's bobbing things off, and she's like, no, 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 you need to take this seriously. Like, you're a little rusty. It's been a century. Like, don't go thinking you can just waddle in there before. She's the one who warned him to not go in the first place to chase after the Corinthian, um, which I have, we haven't brought up yet, his artifacts, his equipment. They're just personifications of his power where he has stored parts of his power. They're not actual equipment. Uh, technically, the helmets, that's a whole other thing. But like his ruby is a, and the sand are things from which he's kind of manifested parts of himself into something physical uh, that help him focus his abilities. But he didn't need them. He has those abilities anyway. Um, which, you know, we find out in the episode where uh, the gem gets, the ruby gets broken and there he is in the palm uh, of the, the hand of dream, which fantastic sequence. Uh, I keep getting the actor's name. Uh, Daniel Thulis. How can I forget his name? One of many, many professors in Harry Potter. <laughs> Ah, yeah, from that. I mean, I recognised him from Wonder Woman. And, again, like he's got a, a, a big body of work. He's done many other things, but that's the that's the DC connection. But, yeah, David Thewlis as John D. he is fantastic in this. I, I think I keep throwing high praise at every performance so far, but it is definitely, it is definitely warranted. The episode in particular with him, it's episode five, 24 7. With Morpheus caught off guard, John settles in at a diner to watch the people around him and put his theory about truth and lies to a terrifying test. Now, David Thrullis had been great all the way through and playing this character like, so timid. And you're getting, you're not getting that this is a particularly bad guy. I mean, you've been told that he's done bad things in his past but it's not until this episode and it's like wow and i think this yes episode five to the midway point of the season mm. and that's from like this show really really is different the whole thing in the diner it's like a completely different show but almost like its own little movie and the pace yeah show as well not just this episode or other episodes as well you feel like you know where something's going and then it doesn't it doesn't yeah, yeah. completely and it's like oh like this show is weird because you know we watch so much tv so many films that you kind of you get to know the beats whereas this show doesn't always follow those beats and starting with the diner and I guess the episode with his sister with death, I don't know. Like it's, and again, I think it's going back to before saying the show's not really scratched the surface, like with this world and with the characters that are coming in and out, like death. We get that episode with her, but I thought we were going to see her again. But then it's on Same. to onto the onto the next thing. But I thought twenty four seven episode five was a definite highlight of the series mm. yeah i'd say for the 10 episodes um 
I love the first episode. It's so, so well done. Even though more uh, Tom Sturridge gets like two or three lines of dialogue right at the end of the episode because he spends the whole time like like refusing to talk. He's narrating, but he's refusing to talk or speak. So he's just this. It makes him seem more otherworldly because he's he's spending so much time on screen not speaking. Um, just looks of, and you, you can see from the the looks what he's thinking and what he's feeling of like just just let him go. He's not even who you were after in the first place. Um, but episode six uh, was it in her wings or on her wings? I think is the title of the episode. It's the episode with death. Yes, and she's only in the first half. The second half of the episode is with uh, Hob Gadling, who's played so, so well by Ferdinand Kingsley, who back in ye oldie times in England, in some dingy pub, uh, death is dragged Morpheus down to like, he's like spend time around people because he doesn't have any connection to them at all. And they hear this guy talking about like i don't think i ever want to die i in fact i've decided i don't want to die so they kind of make like a little silent like bet she's like i don't i'll do it i'll I'll stop him from having to die um it's like if if that's what you want and she's like but and yeah so he checks in on him every hundred years at the same pub to see how he's doing does he want to die is he over it all and it's this, the, it, you're watching the blossoming of, the, of a friendship and like what is the start of him having an appreciation for humanity in such a great episode. Yeah, I've heard it, from a lot of really people is. that this is their standout for them. <laughs> yeah, no, oh, I mean, it is an incredible episode. That's like going back to what I was saying before. So episode five, it's like it feels like its own little thing. And it's almost like it's where the show kind yeah. of found itself, even though it's streaming, it's all been made available, but you can imagine it being made over a period of time, being released over a period of weeks, and then, oh, the show's starting to find itself now, and it already has such a unique identity, but, yeah, from the episode in the diner, and then episode six, and this, yeah, this is the one that I was referencing before, where it, ordinarily, him and death, that's your episode. That that would have been yeah. it. But no, like that kind of ends. And you think, oh, that was quite a short episode. Oh, no, there's more. And then the episode keeps on going. And yes, it, oh, man, it is such a good episode. And then you find out that, you know, he basically said, if you come and meet me in 100 years, it will prove to me that our friendship is real. But then Morpheus doesn't turn up. But it's not because he chose to. He was caught. imprisoned. Ah, oh, and it is so yeah. well done. And then Morpheus finally gets there. It's been demolished, but a sign's been put up, and he follows the sign, and there he is. And you see that, yeah, it's a genuine relationship. You know, I, I yeah, I'd stand by this episode as well as being the best one of the whole season. Yeah, yeah, and I do like the uh, the change of his looks throughout the ages, <laughs> yes. and staying with. <laughs> The same with Hob as well. They both had these their looks change as they move from one era to the other. So oh, Hob definitely Death looking super <laughs> goth. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then 
the time he gets stood up is like 1986. So there's Hob with like the 80s, like flock seagulls hair, pulling up in a Porsche. And I'm like, oh yeah, of course. Um, yeah, it's so it's such a great episode. Such a great character. There's, this, there's so many of those characters throughout this whole show. We barely scratched the surface. My entire note uh, on this show is just characters and who was in it, like the Fates and Ethel Cripps and Hector Hall, the good doctor Nimrod on Funland, three serial killers from, <laughs> from later in the show. Uh, we haven't even gotten to Rose Walker, the Dream Vortex, played by uh, Vanessa Sumanyai, who is like a like the the second half of the season focuses around her. Episode yeah. seven, trying, eight, nine, and ten. Yeah. Trying to find her brother Jed Walker, played by Eddie Karanja. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard for this review not to fall into us just talking about actors just reeling off their names and what they did but you're, you're right there is so many people i mean we talked about the first episode without even mentioning the fact that charles dance was in it <laughs> he's a villain as as a villain now he's again he's done so much over the years but for me my go-to yeah. last action hero benedict and he's got the 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 false eye with the, the smile glass face. Eye. <laughs> the glass eye yeah, yep. but I mean, he's he's most in this. People, Game of Thrones, of course. Yeah, Game of Thrones. That's a show most people. I, I that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, the cast is incredible. I mean, Cain and Abel. You know, we get them early on. One of them, Sandy. <laughs> yes, the yeah. British comedian. But yes, a, a, yeah. I mean, a great cast. Again, we could just keep reeling them all off but if we go back to rose walker she she plays it so well like you really feel for the character straight away like she's suffered loss and she's trying to find a brother she finds out that she does have a long lost relative who's then gonna help yeah. her find her brother but then the, the brother also side note we met yeah. in like episode one. She's like the first person to fall under the spell of the dreaming sickness. Yes. So there we go. So it's all connected. But the brother, so he's he's living with abusive foster parents. And this is the thing. Yeah. Like he's rescued by Corinthian. And it's like, so are we cheering for this guy yeah. now? And do you know what I mean? I like the fact yeah. that there's so much gray with that character. I mean, he's definitely not good. Yeah. He can do some good, but then it's, but then again, it's like he's doing good, but to suit himself. But even later on, when he's at a serial convention, he's making sure that Jed is protected. But then he's also got his own his yeah. own motives. But interesting character. But Jed, we get to see him in a Sandman costume in the dreaming. And it's a replica of Garrett Stanford's costume in the Sandman comic run from 1974. So there you go. Yeah. You get a cape in this DC show. Yeah, and then eventually yeah. Rose is able to rescue her. But then with Rose comes all these other characters. Her friend, Lyta Hall, played by Razan Jamal. Before the events of the show... Her husband, Hector Hall, played by Lloyd Everett, he dies. 
and then he's residing in in an area of the dreaming so he's hiding from death is in the dreaming she visits her ex-husband not ex-husband deceased husband in her dreaming yeah she's pregnant at one point morpheus is like that's mine i'm gonna take it from you You're like oh man you're so dark but then she ends up having the baby that was born off a dream oh sometimes this show hurts my head like it's doing yeah it's doing so much and we're getting different ideas but and again not just her friend lighter we're then getting all those other characters that are introduced at the hotel yeah she's staying yeah you've got ken and barbie who we brought up before uh who are like two young successful people looking for a house in florida because that's where the hotel is You've got uh, Hal Carter, who's taken over the hotel, who runs it, who's a drag queen, who is an actual real-life drag queen, I believe. Right. I think I've seen them on RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, right, I yes. double-checked them. Well, he's played by um, but- Cameron Mitchell, and he's quite prominent. Like, he's befriends Rose very quickly and tries to help her find yeah. her brother. But again, like this show, like, oh, we're doing this now. I thought the show was yeah. this other thing. No, it's this. I mean, before... No, 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 we before all, yeah. yeah, now we're doing something else. Before we get to all this, we had the episode with Lucifer Morningstar. Oh, yeah. Wendell and Christie. Yes. And they have this really odd contest because someone in a demon in hell has his helm and he challenges morpheus to a duel for the helm and he can pick anyone but morpheus is like i'll fight you i don't need a champion and so the demon's like well i pick lucifer and you're like oh you dumbass <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, this to the guy that's really yeah and you, you, this really, really interesting fight, which is a game based on who's the more creative, which is like the perfect fight between the two. It's actually level because it's it's like a game of chess of like how more can you adapt to the other person's uh, imagination to hit back at them. And it's like a it's like turn based. And it was just so well done. I was blown away by the the concept of it and the execution. Like yeah. as each of them, like I'm the snake who bites the horse. So Morpheus is the, the knight on the horse. So he's poisoned with like snake venom. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's like it physically manifests on the person who's being attacked. Like this is so interesting. It was a highlight of that episode for me like it doesn't add about the episode the performances we're getting but the visuals and the, the, the pure concept i'm like of course of course that's how we support fight well, it be a game know, i i need them. to take back my, i need to take back my previous comment you know i'm saying you know around episode five the show really found itself this is episode four yeah <laughs> i retract yeah. my original comment this show always knew what it was <laughs> And when and when Morpheus is being led through hell, 
he runs into someone he knew from like thousands of years ago and she calls him an Anansi, the African god of dreams. And I'm like, man, there's so many <laughs> levels to this. Yeah. So, you know, that's only his ex-wife. But to, to yeah. her, oh, he appears differently. But there you go. So it's... yeah. Anyway, moving on. That's the ex-wife. Onwards and upwards. I'm off to fight Lucifer. Yeah. Big show. Yeah, I still think of big it. ideas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I want to bring it up now. I was talking about this. We get, we get a bonus episode, but it's actually two episodes in that bonus episode. It's a sh- very short short, which is animated, where he's with Morpheus is a cat god thing and the dreams of cats which is i'm like yeah this they're vicious savage things that makes complete sense to me uh very well put together uh but the one that i actually found to be my favorite of the entire season but it's the bonus episode with calliope uh where arthur darvel also of legends of tomorrow and doctor who fame yeah uh, plays Richard Maddock, or Rick Maddock, as he changes his name and gets successful. It's mm-hmm. such a douche move. Uh, who's an author who's organized with another old author uh, to take on uh, an old Greek muse, Calliope, played by Melisanti Mariot, who... Uh, I knew instantaneously the second I heard her voice. She is the voice actress from of Cassandra from Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Okay. Ah, so I've not played that. So I, I didn't know her from anything. Yeah, so, and I put 250 hours into that game plus. Like, <laughs> well, there you go. Very recognizable to me, but such an interesting story. Another, like, ex-partner of Morpheus who herself, has spent a long amount of time imprisoned. In that time, he's been imprisoned. Like the, the whole thing, they've had a child who's been killed. You're like, wait, what? Wait, go back. I, yeah, I yeah, need there's more. So, there's so much, wait for me. I need there's so much history. You know, I've got to be honest, right? So you got the 10 and then started watching episode 11. And I just say it was animated. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. This, I guess, I guess this is interesting enough, and you know, it was a, it was a good concept and great voice acting. But then this part happened, and this, yeah, yeah. Like this is so. Good. It almost feels like it filled a whole hour, but it was just one part of that hour-long block. But there's so much yeah. story here. There's so much history, and you really you buy Darville's performance. Like in the beginning, was like, say no. I won't do that. It's the wrong thing to do. And you believe him. Yeah. And then his downward spiral, you believe that as well. Like, it's such a great performance by him, like most people in the show. And, yeah, and she's great. And because we've had those 10 episodes, like, we, the audience, know that she's going to find a way to call to Morpheus. And we, yeah. the audience know what that means and it's nothing good for rick <laughs> like yeah. it's not going to end badly yeah. and again like the way that morpheus has yeah. been portrayed throughout this whole season that it's like if he's coming you're in trouble and yeah again did not end well there for rick. <laughs> yeah yeah I, you know we've not brought up his siblings were not death 
like I'm aware there are seven endless. One who has been missing for years, who I don't think we actually get told in the season which of the endless it is, but they're all there's desire, there's it's not, not, not depression. Yeah, yeah we is. don't. Yeah, we we don't get get all of them. Desire is played by Mason Alexander Park. Comes yeah, in and out of it. Yep, comes in yeah. and out of it. But then when we get to the end of episode ten, it's like right, okay, Desire is pulling strings here. Yeah, um, and I'm like, when are we going to meet the other ones? I know one of them's Delirium. Because there's a story about delirium. So they all start with D, dream, death, despair, desire, delirium. The other two must also be like personifications that start with D. Must be, surely. I've just done a quick search. I've just done a search. Okay, so we have destiny, death, dream, destruction, desire, despair, and Delirium, who was previously known as Delight. There you go. They are the endless. Yeah. Um, yes. Such an interesting concept. The whole show is just an interesting concept. And I just, Netflix, give us a season two. I need it. How you have not confirmed a season two. I know they're canceling shows left, right, center. The fact that it hasn't been already canceled gives me hope. That they're just they're going to make the announcement. It's just honestly, I would be very surprised, very surprised if if we don't get more. It's clearly a show yeah. they believed in to begin with and gave it the budget that they did. And there's no way this didn't perform for them, whether it's going by yeah. critics or audiences. And for a streaming service, if the audience likes it, surely. That's the, that's the point. <laughs> Make more. You want a wider audience. You want more subscribers. So hopefully we do yeah. get more. You know, I didn't yeah. recognize the name of the composer, David Buckley. So I had to do some digging. Yeah. Notable film scores include The Town, Jason Bourne, Papillion, The Forbidden Kingdom, Angel Has Fallen. So he's, you know, he's done quite a few films, and on the small screen, he's a composer for the Scott Free produced CBC TV series The Good Wife and its spin off, The Good Fight. Uh, he also did the score for the Batman Arkham Knight video game. Ah, but did he? Also, my favorite movies, uh, The Nice Guys with Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe by. Uh, Come on, Brain. He uh he wrote the original Predator, Lethal Weapon. Yep. Shane Black. Shane Black, yes. Yes. Phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. The nice guys. I watched it recently. I love that movie. Uh, I watched yeah. it again so, recently. Yeah, I should have cool. seen I, I should have recognized his name. Um oh, there's a great film. It's amazing. I've been listening to it all like the last few weeks. It's so good. I it's made its way onto my like YouTube playlist. It's, yeah, yeah, I've it, had it, it on. I've had it on Spotify, just on in the background there. Yeah, really, really good, good score. I mean, like most things about this show, um, 
they're, they're doing it well. So on that then, if you're going to rate the Sandman out of five. You know, I'm going to come in at five. It was so effortless for me to watch. I'm so, I know, I, like we've been saying this whole podcast, I feel like they've only just scratched the surface. I want to know more. I'm deeply invested. Uh, the performances, the costumes, the cinematography, the special effects, the score, all of it. I, the fact that we got that 11th episode, that's just like, a, there you go. Yeah, hey, here's another one because it didn't fit anywhere in the middle. We don't take a sidetrack, but we filmed it. Enjoy. Phenomenal. I want more, need more. How about yourself? Well, it's got to be a five. I think if the way that we've both talked about this season, if we were to come in any lower than a five, people would not believe us. I mean, we clearly really <laughs> enjoyed this show. And, yeah, I would love for them to to do more. Yeah, all the points that we've mentioned, and you just said it again there, like everything about this, I'm so glad that they couldn't make it when they originally wanted to make it because it wouldn't have been this, especially in the 90s. No. And to put it together and release it as a film, you, you just you just couldn't. I mean, this works. Like, I mean, this wouldn't have worked as, as a film if they tried to chop it up and piece it that way because there's no. too many threads. But as a season, as a show, it works really well. It keeps you wanting more, and there's just so much potential for future seasons. So you're right what you said in the beginning there. It had to be a TV show. Could not do it as a film. Yeah. It'd be too limiting. No, no. It, and it's supposed no. to be it tends to be a endless. Thing with a yeah. <laughs> nice. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, Netflix. Give us give us more. I can't believe it hasn't been announced yet. It's crazy. Well, like, do you know what? Um this month, maybe in a week, to dumb. You know the big thing that Netflix now does annually where they um, have a big presentation, it's a big online thing, they make announcements. If they were going to announce a second season, it would be during that event. So fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's it for our episode all about The Sandman Season 1. I keep throwing the season in there because I, I don't want to just say The Sandman because it might mean that's all it is. The first season of many. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we need five, at least. <laughs> uh, if you would like to contact us about this episode or suggest a topic for an upcoming episode, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. You've been listening to Luke and Jay, the guys from Sounds Like Comics. See you soon.